The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I always marvel at seeing a musician that is really gifted and trained in their craft. So if you've ever seen someone who has spent a lot of years working on, on studying the piano, just sit down at a piano with no sheet music and, and just start to play. I mean, what their, their hands can do, just like whatever their brain wants them to do, they can just do it. It's amazing. Or someone on the drum set and can just play whatever they want on the drum set. Or particularly amazing, I think, is when someone can really just shred on the electric guitar. Anybody with me on that? Like, and that is impressive. Okay, three of you are with me on that. Okay. Okay, I don't think you're convinced. So I, I think what we need is for someone to come out and do a little electric guitar demonstration. Do you think we need that? I, I can't tell. You think we need Okay. I'm going to invite David. David, come on out here. This is uh, David. He's part of our band. Let's give David a round of applause, please. Thank you. This is David, one of the many talented musicians in our band. David, how long have you been playing the guitar? For about 30 years, okay, he's been playing the guitar. So, David, give it to us, man. Let, lay, lay something down. right there. That's good stuff. David, thank you for that. One more time, round of applause for David, for band. Good stuff, man. Now, I don't know if you noticed his ex- facial expressions while he was doing that. Like, he's doing that weird thing where it's just like he's tapping the guitar, like, effortlessly. There was, like, no expression on his face. It's like, it took him as much effort to do that as me to chew gum, okay? It was, like, effortless for him to play that on the guitar. Now, here's what we all know for a musician, whether guitar, piano, drums, whatever it is, we know that for David to get to that place, there's a lot of hard work over the last 30 years that got him to be able to stand there and just move his fingers like it's nothing and to create that sound, right? And I find it amazing, like whatever crops up in his mind, his fingers obey. It's like that guitar is an extension of his body. The word I think of when I look at something like that is he's free. Like whatever he wants to do, he hears something, he can play it. He's free to do whatever he wants with that guitar. But what we know, like we said, that takes a lot of hard work. So I want you to think of it from this standpoint. For him to have the freedom to do that with the electric guitar There was a lot of hours where he had to decide to not do something that would have been nice to do right then, but instead practice his guitar, right? Like there's a lot of times where he was saying, it would be nice to binge watch Netflix right now, but I'm going to plunk out that same riff over and over and over until I can do it 
with my eyes closed. Okay, that, that's a, a paradigm we understand. In other words, think of it like this. To get the greater freedom to be able to do that with the guitar, he had to restrict his freedoms at other points in order to be able to achieve that. He had to, at times, practice and not do what it would have been nice to do to restrict his freedom to get that freedom. Okay, does this make sense what I'm saying so far? Because that dynamic, that like axiom, that truth is valid in every other sector of our lives. Let me just briefly give you two more. Some of you all know Pastor Angel. Anyone know Pastor Angel out here? Anybody? Three people know Pastor Angel. Okay. Pastor Angel, uh, he's been on our staff for uh, several months now. You actually got to, to hear him preach over the summer. He's a phenomenal communicator, great addition to our teaching team. And um, he is very gifted as a communicator, pours into our students, awesome guy. But we hired him for his muscles. Like, I don't know if you've seen Pastor Angel, but I'm pretty sure he could pick up a Prius and put it on his shoulders, okay? Small vehicles are nothing to him. Okay, now what we know is for him to have the freedom to be able to pick up small vehicles... That means at other points in time, he had to restrict himself to go work out, meaning like a little less of that pizza that he famously likes and a few more push-ups instead, okay? In other words, if you want to have that level of freedom, it's the same with an athlete. If you want to be able to do whatever you want on the court or the field or whatever, you've got to restrict your freedoms else and other times elsewhere in order to practice so you have the freedom to accomplish what you want in a game. Okay, one last example. How about financial freedom? If someone wants to have financial freedom, they say, look, I want to get to a place where I can do what I want, meet these goals with my finances, or even better. I'm catching a vision for what God wants me to do with my finances, and I want to have the joy of doing that. That means, same principle, I've got to restrict my freedoms elsewhere. I can't just buy whatever I want when I want to buy it because that will lead to having restricted freedom. If someone goes into debt, then they're tied down with less freedom. So if I want this freedom, I've got to restrict my freedom over here. This is a, a principle that we know. Restricting our freedom in pursuit of a greater freedom, that's called self-control. And we all, we all get it. We all understand it. In fact, as a culture, we invest a lot of money into people that can help us know how to have self-control or that can motivate us to have self-control. We, we spend a lot of money on dietitians or trainers or books on how to have better self-control for our health or relationship coaches or professional coaches, coaches. Or books on how to be time managed so that if, we could just, if, if I can just have better discipline and self-control here, I can do the things professionally that I want to do so I can have success. We, our culture knows that we need and want self-control and that leads to greater freedom or leads to the success that we want. It's just, man, self-control can be so elusive. It's just so hard to be self-controlled and stay motivated to do that. Well, that principle of self-control actually bringing about freedom, restricting freedom to gain a greater freedom, 
that's not something that the world discovered. That's something that God created, that principle. So in the scripture, it talks about the power of self-control and also the secret of how to actually unleash that power in our lives. As we're wrapping up this series called Hello Summer, talking through the fruit of the Spirit, the very last one is self-control. And to discuss the power of this self-control, and as we're wrapping up this series, let's do a little bit of review. If you would open in your Bibles, if you have a Bible or Bible app, open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Galatians 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, this verse right here, I believe that, that there's some with us in here today, watching online. This is the word you've been waiting for. You've been waiting and searching and seeking this one verse. Don't skip over this. Is profoundly powerful because I believe there's some in here, maybe watching online somewhere, watching this service, that you're saying, okay, I'm here. I'm doing the church thing. Um, I, this is a little bit outside my comfort zone, but I'm here because I, I'm trying to explore the religious side of my life or the spiritual side of my life. I'm trying to understand a little bit more about God and Jesus and Christianity. I, I'm, I'm taking that step, or my friend's really into it, so they've invited me, and I'm trying to figure out if I'm into it. But there's a hesitation you have, and maybe it's not even explicit in your mind. I bet there's some that would say, my hesitation of jumping in and doing the God thing, doing the church thing, becoming a Christian, getting saved, following Jesus, or, or just simply taking what the Bible says and then just doing it in my, my life, submitting myself to the Bible. My hesitation to do that is that I really like the way I'm running my life right now. Or even if I'm not totally satisfied, I'm just really scared about giving up control. I, I just really, in a word, I like my freedom. I, I don't want this area of my life, I don't want anyone to tell me how to do this. I, I like this. I don't want to tell anyone to tell me to do this. And so I'm hesitant to take that step because I really like being in charge. If that's have you ever been tempted to feel, you've got to hear what the Bible is claiming. I'm not necessarily asking you to believe it at this point. I just want you to hear what the Bible is claiming because the claim is that Jesus came and that every one of us are in chains, slavery, imprisoned, and it's Jesus coming to us to let us out and free us. So if someone is saying, look, I'm just not sure I want to give up my, my freedoms. I like my life. That's like someone standing in the jail cell with Jesus approaching them with the key, saying, no thanks, Jesus. Out there seems more restrictive. I will stay in the jail cell. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to let you free. Hold on to that thought. Just time out for a second. The book of Galatians is actually, it's actually not written to people who don't yet know Jesus. It's actually written to people who do know Jesus. It's written to Christians. 
So here's actually what, what it says earlier in Galatians. It says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then do you notice what it said? It says, you've been set free. Jesus came, unlocked the cage. You walked out into freedom. It says, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. It's like that must mean that there's some case that Christians can walk in freedom in Jesus and then at some point have gotten themselves back in the shackles of slavery. So how could that happen? And how do we know if that's happened to us? What kind of slavery is he talking about? Look at what it says. Jump down to verse 16 with me. Here's what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the, what's that word right there? Law. Okay, it's saying in this passage, there are two different slave masters. And the Bible will explain that every human alive finds themselves enslaved to one or the other. And sometimes we bounce back and forth between the two. The first one he said is the flesh. Now the flesh... Okay, what does he mean by that? He's talking about my, my body? Well, no, it's not just your body. God made your body. And when God made humans, he said, it's good. This is his creation. It's not just the body. Well, is it, oh, I know what it means. He said the, 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 the gratifying the desires of the body. It must be pleasure. And, and it isn't like to be more spiritual, you have to kind of hold back pleasure. No, actually, that's not biblical. God made your body have the ability to experience pleasure. Pleasure is not evil. What it's talking about is putting the body in charge and letting the, the cravings of the body be the master because the body is not good as a master. Okay, uh, while Rebecca and I were away, we spent so much time together as a family. I, I have a five-year-old and a, and a three-year-old, and we just adore our kids. And my three-year-old son, I, he just amazes me. I love that little guy. He's just so tough and tenacious and wants to run everywhere and, and run into me, okay? And he's just, he's just a tough little guy, and I, and I know he's so determined that he'll be a leader one day, and I know that about him, but currently as a three-year-old, he's not ready to be the leader of our family right now, okay? <laughs> and sometimes he thinks he's ready to be the leader of the family, and if we let him say, hey, you run the family today, we'd all be dead by, by nightfall, okay? That would not be a good plan. But let me just give you one example. So um, we took recently the kids to Disney World, okay? And they, they've not been to Disney World, and, and so this is kind of a new experience, and we were up there, and we talked about it and built it up and explained it, and we we're going to go the first day to the Magic Kingdom, and we're staying at a friend's place. I was beautiful, and it's got um, this coffee table, and... We're all ready. We've got like the ponchos stuffed in the backpack and we got the whole thing. Everyone's got their shoes on except for uh, my little buddy. And he's there at the coffee table doing what he does most of his life. He spends most of his life with his little cars, driving them around the coffee table, hours on end, just around and around and around. It's his favorite activity. And I say, hey, buddy, it's time to go. We're gonna go to Disney World. 
And he looks up at me and he says, I want to stay and play cars. I'm thinking to myself, do you know the hours of preparation, the money we're spending on this and you want to, okay, I didn't go down that road. I said, buddy, buddy, I don't know how to describe this to you, but where we're going is so much more exceedingly fun than playing cars around the coffee table. Trust me. And if I had to pick him up screaming and crying, I was shoving shoes on those little feet and we were going out the door, okay? If, he had, if I said, okay, son, you be in charge, we would have all stayed back and settled for playing cars around the coffee table. That's like when we let our bodies be in charge. When our bodies are in charge, it's not ready to lead. Our bodies don't make wise decisions. Our bodies don't know when to stop. Our bodies always spoil it in the end. If our bodies are in charge, like let me just ask you a question. Would it be a good idea to let your body make the decisions about what you eat? Okay, there's a lot of hesitation there, and I'm concerned, okay? I was hoping for, like, a little more obvious. Let me, let me try it again. Is it a good idea to let your body make the decision about what you eat? Th thank you. Okay, good. All right. If I let my body make my eating decisions, I would eat only bacon and flan <laughs> across the board, Okay. Now, what you know is that your body doesn't know when to stop, okay, and it ends up spoiling it. So when you're cooking up the second pound of bacon, okay, what was fun for the first 30 seconds, it's not going to be fun shortly after you consume that second pound of bacon. When you're getting your stomach pumped at the hospital, that's when your body says, okay, maybe I don't know what I'm doing, okay? We don't let our bodies make the decisions, or at least we know it's a bad idea to let your body make the decision about what you eat. Let me ask you another one. How about this? Is it a good idea to let your body make your relationship decisions? Again, three of you knew that answer. Okay, no, the answer's no, okay? All right, because here's what happens. We know this. I mean, you know this. If your body's making your relationship decisions, in the end, your body leads you to say things like this. I know I just met you, but I know I'm, I'm with this person right now, but I know you're going to hurt me in the end, but our bodies, they're not bad. They just can't lead. Not good when their body and the cravings of your body are the boss. He says, and here's the thing he's saying, your flesh and the cravings, it's these demands that are welling up internally, the cravings of the body. Man, they have a way. They're, they just make such a lot, lot of noise. They have a way of enslaving us, and sometimes we feel like we just can't quiet those voices. Some just say, you know, I'm just going to let my body do my thing. Let do it. I'm going to make it as the boss and is a cruel slave master. Now, we're, we expect the Bible to say things like that. That's, that's like not news that the Bible might have that message. But there's another master. And for some, this may be surprising that this is in the body. He says the flesh is one master, but the law is also a master that will slave you. Now, I say, okay, I get the flesh. That's intuitive. What do you mean by the law? If the flesh is these internal demands... The law is external demands that are placed 
on us. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing. We, we need guidance and boundaries and wise decisions. All of that's great. That's not what the law does. The law takes it further, and this is what the law ends up telling us. I'm acceptable because I'm obeying these rules. I'm valuable. I'm worthwhile. I'm treasured because I'm obeying these laws. Because of my behavior, then I'm worthwhile. That's the danger of the law. So it's like there's this system, and it can be even laws from the Bible, good things, but if I start taking it and saying, okay, I, I, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm checking off all these religious actions. Man, I, I feel like a super Christian. What ends up happening? I end up tripping up along the way. I end up falling, and all of a sudden, the pendulum swings the other way, and all of a sudden, now I'm like, now I feel totally guilty and shame because since my acceptance is based on these behaviors that I do, it becomes an identity issue. And sometimes people around us perpetuate this. Maybe you've heard a Christian or at another ministry, you've heard someone say, well, if you call yourself a Christian, how could you ever... I mean, good Christians don't do this. I can't believe some of the Christians out there that do that. And it becomes, they're pouring shame so that I walk out feeling like I'm a bad Christian and I've just made an identity statement about myself. The law, it says, I'm acceptable before God because of what I do, because of my behaviors. But it's not just in religious circles that there's the law. How about in family? There's rules or expectations, some stated, some not, where they say, you grow up in this family, you're expected to have this type of career and this type of education and, and marry these type of people and have this number of grandchildren. And if you do, we're proud of you. Or maybe, if you do match up all these expectations, you will see that you are loved. And so there are people walking through life, late in life, still trying to earn that approval because there's a law that, that's been like a yoke on our neck, like chains on us saying, I can never be accepted. I can never be worth someone being proud of. I can never be loved until my behaviors earn it. And that's just something that I'll, I'll never do. How about in friend groups? Friend groups do this too. Well, everyone in the friend group, they, they make this kind of money and live in this kind of house and drive this kind of car and vacation in this kind of place. And I feel like I don't belong if I, if I don't have that. Or, you know, everyone, they say, well, we educate our kids this way. Wait, you're not educating your kids the way we're educating our kids? Uh oh, wait a minute. You don't, you don't parent like this or you don't act like that or you don't wear this or do that. And all of a sudden you say, man, when I don't reach up to these checklists in that friend group, I find I stop getting invited because apparently I'm not acceptable unless my behaviors match up. High school students, it's the friend group that says, well, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, this is how you act. Wait, you're not doing that? Then are you even accepted in our little circle anymore? All that is law that tells me I'm acceptable by my behavior, and that can never work because here's what ends up happening. I build up, build up, build up. I'm doing it. I'm acceptable. I'm valuable. I'm worthwhile. And then I stumble and my self-esteem and my identity crashes because I'm disappointed in myself. 
and I made crazy statements like, I will never do that again. That's just shame talking. When we trip and, and fall and we say, I'm not worthy of anyone, then you know who comes tapping? The flesh comes over and says, hey, buddy, I know it's too hard under the, the master of this law following all those rules. You don't need this master. Just You're already a wreck. Why don't you come over here and just push into the flesh over here? And so we find ourselves bouncing back and forth. And what ends up happening when my identity is a good Christian or a good part of the family or a good friend or whatever it is, my, my legs get knocked out from under me. So often what can happen is there's this downward spiral of never feeling like you're doing enough and measuring up. The law is cruel. It's a slaver. The flesh is cruel. It's a slaver. And every single human being finds themselves enslaved to one or the other or bouncing between the two. And he says, instead, be led by the Spirit. And I say, well, what does that mean? That's pretty vague. It sounds like, I mean, could anything be the Spirit? I mean, is that just an opportunity to rationalize anything? Well, he explains what he means. Look at, let's wrap up this passage, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, it's obvious the flesh leads you to excess. The flesh spoils it. The flesh leads you into things that in the end are going to cause destruction. He says it's, not, it's obvious what it leads, it into, leads you into. But then he goes on, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is all this stuff. It's not rocket science. It says if you let your flesh make your sexual decisions, it's going to wreck a lot of relationships. If you let your, your flesh make your even friendship decisions, it's going to lead to jealousy, envy, strife. It's going to be a disaster. If you let your flesh make your eating and drinking decisions, it's going to lead to excess and drunkenness. He says it's, it's not rocket science. The flesh brings destruction. And he says, look at all of these beautiful things, love and patience and goodness and self-control and all these things. And he says, the law can't birth these in you. It's fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit births these things in you. You realize what he's saying? The Spirit of Almighty God is inside of you if you belong to Christ, if you've received the forgiveness Christ purchased on the cross and finished when he rose from the dead, if you have received that forgiveness and you belong to Jesus Christ, what he's saying is the spirit of almighty creator God dwells inside of you. Say, how is that possible? 
It's that he loves you so much. We sang it earlier today. He has such an unbelievable, unrelenting, reckless love for you that he sent the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to earth to live that perfect life, be brutally, torturously killed on the cross, to pay for sins as the sacrifice. And he rose again from the dead saying, I've paid in full all your sin, past, present, and future. I'm offering you forgiveness. And when we hear that, when we realize that we are in Christ, when we realize this gospel, did you hear what it said at the end, verse 24? It says, so your flesh has been crucified with Christ. What that means is that you've, it's like we, when Jesus was crucified, it's like our flesh was crucified and we died with him and rose with him. You are living in the, re- the power of the resurrection of Christ. In fact, next week you'll see this demonstrated when people are getting baptized and believers If you've never been baptized and you're a Christian, sign up this week. Write it on your connection card. This is the week because it's this powerful symbol Jesus commanded us to do where someone's lowered under the water like a burial and raised up out of the water saying, you're walking a new kind of life. The Holy Spirit has revived you and is building these virtues inside of you like self-control. As we're landing on this one, as we close this series, can you just bring to the forefront of your mind, what's that area in your life? Just hold it out in your mind. What's that area where you say, like, I'm just struggling to have self-control. I just can't beat this. I said, that area of health, I just, I want to be, it's not even just a vanity thing. I want to be a good steward of the body that I've been given. I, I just can't do that. Or, or maybe it's, it's the sexual side of your relationship. See, I'm, I'm dating someone, and I, I don't want to keep falling into sexual temptation. I know God wants us to be pure and, and not have sex until after we're married, but I just keep falling into this. Or maybe it's a, a lust addiction, like pornography. I just can't stop clicking on those websites. Or, or maybe it's, it's man, I, I can't control the things that I say, and the anger and the bitterness comes out. And I, I just, I hate the way I talk to my kids and my spouse or talk to the people at work. I just, I can't get the self-control. Hold that out there. Because if you're feeling defeated today, today is a day where you can find hope and victory. Because the Spirit is going to build self-control in you. You say, how? Let me show you how the power of the gospel unleashes self-control in your life. I want you to write these three things down. The first one is this. The gospel gives me a vision for freedom. When I look at what's the gospel, the message of Jesus, when I look at Jesus crucified, and I say, that is the Son of God. That's God in the flesh. God, you love me so much that the treasure of the universe you would spend on me. You you so desperately want to spend all of eternity with me, God, that you allowed for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I can't believe how much you love me. So when I realize how much you love me, I realize, wow, these things that you're asking me to do in my life, you're asking me to live this part of my life this way and this way and this way, those things are not to restrict me or confine me. I actually believe what you said, Jesus, when you said, I have come to give you life abundantly. If you love me, that must mean that all of these things that you're asking me to do are to free me. 
And it's a vision for freedom. In other, way, in other words, my flesh is saying, no, I want to do this. And my flesh is willing to settle to play cars on the coffee table. And you are beckoning me as my father, saying, no, I have a greater vision for your sexuality. I have a greater vision for your finances. I have a greater vision for your goals and your dreams and your time and your health. I have a greater vision. I am calling you to that freedom. And I'm motivated to have that self-control to achieve that freedom. And so in one swoop, the gospel cuts down the master of the flesh. But there's a second one. The gospel gives me an unshakable identity. And so when there's the time that comes and I stumble, and if I'm under the law, I'm just overcome with guilt and shame and telling myself that I'm, I'm a bad person, no one wants me, I'm all rejected. I'm realizing, wait, no, that's not what the gospel says. Jesus hanging in his physical and even more spiritual anguish, the fact that he would do that, take the cross joyfully for me, says that you and I are so treasured by God. He says, you want to know how valuable you are? Just take a look at the cross. You're loved and you're treasured. You're that valuable to God. The one who breathes planets out of his mouth, as out of his mouth says you are that much of a treasure. Your identity doesn't rise and fall on your behavior. Your identity is based on Jesus Christ. It's unshakable. You are a treasure to the only one that matters, almighty creator God. And so you know what that does? When I fall, my identity's not shaken because I realize I'm still a treasure to God. And the cross is still stronger than my sin. And he's saying, no, I, I've risen you up. He's saying, no, there's still forgiveness. There's still grace. There's still love. And so instead of saying, I will never again, I say, God, I don't want to do that. That brings destruction into my life. I want to follow you. Help me to pick myself up uh, and get back on my feet right now. There's no downward spiral. There's no shame. There's no self-loathing because I realize how much God treasures me and loves me. And here's the other thing that happens. Under the law, when I mess up and I feel shame, I can't tell anybody about it because I'm ashamed. Because I think they'll look differently at me. Because I'll think that, that my, that's going to knock down how they view me and it's going to shatter my identity. But if my identity is in Jesus Christ on how much God views me and, and how much he loves me and treasures me, then I can say, I can go if I'm a, as a guy to another Christian brother or if uh, you ladies can go to a Christian sister and say, hey, I lack self-control in this. Can you pray for me? And I feel the freedom, even though it's vulnerable and humbling, I feel the freedom to do that because my identity is not at stake. My identity is not what I do. My identity's built on what Jesus did for me. But here's the last one. And Christian, you've got to get this. The gospel unleashes in me a supernatural power. Can you just stop and consider this concept of the fruit that the Spirit is creating in your life? Can you just consider that for a second? The Spirit of Holy Almighty God saying, I'm going to dwell in you. Like, can we just stop and consider that? 
There's the story in the Old Testament where Moses goes up on this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he goes to get the law. God calls him up and says, I'm going to meet with you, and he has these tablets. He's going to get all the law of God. Have you ever read a description of what it was like when he went up to meet with God on that mountain? It's like it says the tangible presence of God descends on that mountain like a cloud. It says lightning starts to flash. It says the earth starts to shake. It's almost like creation itself is beside itself at the fact that its creator is descending onto the scene. It says trumpets blare from heaven. Can you imagine what must that have sounded like? Was it this mellow blast of like a a war trumpet or was it like the brassy sound of trumpets from heaven declaring that the king is on the scene? Whatever it was, trumpets blast as the presence of God descends on that mountain. And do you realize what what God told Moses? He said, you're going to have to build a barrier around this mountain because if anyone's curious, if anyone's drawn to the presence of God, that barrier needs to hold them back because if they get too close to me, holy almighty God, they will be struck dead. And Moses goes up, he receives these 10 commandments, he comes down the mountain, and when they see him, having been in the presence of God, his face shone so brightly that they begged him to put a veil over his face because they couldn't even look at him. That's the presence of God. Christian, do you realize what this is saying? Because of Jesus Christ, God said, I am going to place that presence of God, that spirit of God inside of you. Can you imagine that? Can you you stop and say, how could the presence, that almighty, most holy presence of God, that trumpets from heaven declare its presence, how could it be inside me? I know the things I've done. I know where I lack self-control. How could it be in me? It's that that is the power of the cross of Christ. He's washed you that clean. He's forgiven you that much. You're that spotless and pure because the power of the cross that no sin can defeat. He's washed you so clean. He's saying you are now a fit temple for the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. So can you hear an exasperated Jesus saying, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I've set you free. Why are you going back into the shackles of the law as if it's your behavior that your worth is based on? It's based on what I achieved on the cross. He's saying, oh foolish Galatians, why would you go back to the shackles of the flesh which is gonna lead to destruction? You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let him do the powerful work of birthing and unleashing in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Because he will do that. This is, for some of you, uh, this is the moment for you to be free. Can Can I just speak to those of you who are feeling defeated today? Because today is a day for you to find hope. Jesus not only purchased our self-control, but you know what? He, he modeled it. There's a moment when he was hanging on the cross in the gospel. The biography writers about Jesus talk about this in the Bible. They say as he's hanging there in his agony and his anguish, we cannot even imagine having God the Father turn his back on Jesus, something we've never experienced. In that moment of agony, 
he gets mocked. They say things like this. Call yourself the son of God and you can't even save yourself from the cross. And they couldn't possibly comprehend that as the son of God, he's not coming down to save them. He's not going to save himself to save the mocker. They say, you talked about tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days. And look at you, you can't even come off that cross. You can't even save yourself and they can't comprehend. He's in the process of tearing down the body that contains the presence of God, the true temple. He's tearing it down, but in three days he will rise it up again. But what self-control that took because he's holding the molecules together, as scripture says, he's holding the molecules together of his mocker to let him finish his sentence. As he's being lashed and whipped before he's crucified, he's chained to a post, he's holding the molecules of that whip together to let it finish its lash. He's holding, letting the spikes, the molecules of the spikes hold together so it can hold him to the cross. Why would he have such self-control? Because he had a vision for freedom, a vision for your freedom. Don't submit again to the work of slavery. Be free. Walk out of here in freedom. Walk out of here that you have been buried and crucified with Christ and you're resurrected, and you're in perpetual resurrection. The moment you mess up, it's not I gotta climb my way back to God and do all this good things. No, you are in perpetual resurrection. He's raising you up constantly out of that so that you can keep going forward and put one foot in front of the other. For some, today is the day to find hope and to find victory. Leave defeat behind. You've got a resurrected Savior. That's resurrecting you. Can we just take a quiet moment? Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me for a second? Because here's what I think. In this quietness between you and God, there are some that need to find freedom for the first time. And here's what I think. There's some here today, maybe watching online, I believe that there are some that might be standing here that are saying, you know what, I would consider myself a Christian even all my life, but I realize I have been basing my salvation on the good Christian-like things that I do and thinking that's what it depends on. And you might be calling yourself a Christian, but you need to find Christ today. You need to find salvation. It's not about what you do, it's about what he did. Surrender to Jesus. Let him fill you with his spirit. Some of you today say, I'm so far from God, you don't understand. I don't think God wants anything to do with me. No, you're wrong. He brought you here today. He's been after you. There's no mountain he wouldn't climb, no valley he wouldn't cross, no ocean that could keep his love from finding you. He has found you. He's brought you here into his presence today. Surrender to Jesus. How could you not? Do you see what he's done for you? What he's calling you to? Today is the day to surrender to your Savior, Jesus. And if you want to take that step, if you want to leave here saying and knowing, I belong to Jesus Christ, then I'm going to lead you in this prayer with everybody's heads bowed. If that's your prayer, if you're sitting there at home watching online, sitting in this room, I want you just to lift this prayer, your words to God in your heart. He hears these words. Just repeat these, these words that I'm saying. Make them your own. Say, dear God, thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for what you did to wash away my sins. 
Thank you for the freedom you're bringing into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.